Good afternoon, brothers and sisters. It's a great blessing that we may be here again this afternoon to join together in worship of our triune God. A hearty welcome to all who are presently here and to all those who have joined us via the live stream. May the preaching of the gospel message direct our hearts and minds in faith and trust to our Saviour Jesus Christ and cause us to live our lives to the praise of him. Consistory has the following announcements. Sister Tamara Bookholt and Brother Daniel Vanderwall from the Free Reformed Church of Byford have indicated their intentions to enter into the married state according to the ordinance of God. They desire to begin this holy state in the name of the Lord and complete it to his glory. If no lawful objections are brought forward, the ceremony will take place, the Lord willing, on Saturday the 10th of December at 10.30am in the Free Reformed Church of Byford with Reverend D. Poppy officiating. You are a reminder of the annual general meeting to be held in this building at 8pm tomorrow. You are also reminded that next week, the Sunday morning service will be held in the Lumen Christie Sports Hall at 9.30am. And this afternoon, Brother Plater will lead the worship service. Before we begin, let us sing together from hymn 27, verse 7 and 8. Good afternoon, brothers and sisters. Let us rise for worship. Let us confess in our hearts our dependence on God with the words of Psalm 124. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Amen. And God greets you this afternoon. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us continue our worship and sing from Psalm 48. Verses 1 and 4.
In Ephesians 4, verse 4 through 5, the Apostle Paul says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Let us now confess that one faith with the words of him one. Believe in God, the Father Almighty. now come before God in prayer and ask that he would add his blessing to our worship. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we praise you for your care over this world. You've created this world and everything in it, you sustain it, you govern it. You're not a God who, who dwells in churches that are made by hands, nor are you served by us as if you have need of something. For Lord, in you, you, you give to all of us life, you give us breath, you give us everything. Lord, you are the one in whom we live and move and have our being. And we confess that we're so completely in your hand that we cannot even move without your control. Father, without your care, we would, we would perish. You open your hand and you generously satisfy the, satisfy the desire of all living things. And Father, yet we praise you that you not only provide for our physical needs, but also for all things necessary for body and soul. And so Lord, we pray that, that you would be with us as we come and we gather around your word. For Lord, this is what our souls need. We need your spirit to work in our hearts. We need your spirit to refresh our hearts with your word. And so we ask that you would then send the spirit who inspired this word into our hearts. That he would reveal the truth of your word. Father, please remove in us any apathy, any spirit of cynicism, any callousness that we might have in our hearts. That instead we would be hungry for your word. That we would be hungry for the bread of life that feeds our souls and nourishes our hearts for your work. And also fills us with joy and with strength. Father we ask all of this for the honor and glory of, of your dear son and our savior Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen. So in connection to uh, what we confess in the Heidelberg Catechism. Lord's Day 34. Particularly about what we confess there about idolatry. We're going to be reading together from Isaiah. And instead of what it says in the bulletin, it says there, the reading is Isaiah 41. It actually should be Isaiah 40. And so we'll read the whole, whole chapter together. And you'll find that on page 712 of the church uh, Bible. 
So Isaiah 40, and then we'll read together the, the whole chapter. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her, that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she is received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low, and the uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, Cry. And I said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty like the flower of the grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord, the the word of our God will stand forever. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span, enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains and scales and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the spirit of the Lord or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness compare with him? An idol? A craftsman casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold, and casts for it silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth. And its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the ruler of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither. The tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his power, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right hand is disregarded by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So far, the reading of, our, of God's word, let us now... Sing from Psalm 115, sorry, sing from Psalm 28, verse 5.
So our text in connection with Lord's Day 34 is taken from Isaiah 46. And so we'll read that together and then also Lord's Day 34. Isaiah 46, we will read the the whole chapter. Bel bows down, Nebo stoops, their idols are on beasts and livestock. These things you carry are borne as burdens on weary beasts. They stoop, they bow down together, they cannot save the burden, but themselves go into captivity. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel who have been born by me from before your birth, carried from the womb. Even to your old age I am he, and to gray hairs I will carry you. I have made and I will bear. I will carry and will save. To whom will you liken me and and make me equal and compare me, that we may be alike? Those who lavish gold from the purse and weigh weigh out silver in the scales, hire a goldsmith, and he makes it into a god. Then they fall down and worship. They lift it to their shoulders. They carry it. They set it in its place and it stands there. It cannot move from its place. If one cries to it, it does not answer or save him from his trouble. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet Uh, Things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose, calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country. I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I've purposed and I will do it. Listen to me, you stubborn of heart, you who are far from righteousness. I bring near my righteousness. It is not far off and my salvation will not delay. I will put salvation in Zion for Israel, my glory. And then our confessional reading is Lord's Day 34. This is the beginning of the section on the commandments, where we begin with the first commandment. So Lord's Day 34, the first question to answer, what is the law of the Lord? And then thus follows the, the Ten Commandments. And then 93, how are these commandments divided into two parts? The first teaches us how to live in relation to God. The second, what duties we owe our neighbor. What does the, law, what does the Lord require in the first commandment? That for the sake of my very salvation, I avoid and flee all idolatry, witchcraft, superstition, and prayer to the saints or to other creatures. Further, further, that I rightly come to know the only true God, trust in Him alone, submit to Him with all humility and patience, expect all good from Him only, and love, fear, and honor Him with all my heart. In short, that I forsake all creatures rather than do the least thing against His will. What is idolatry? Idolatry is having or inventing something in which to put our trust instead of or in addition to the only true God who has revealed himself in his word. After the the proclamation of the gospel, we'll, we'll sing from Psalm 115, verses 1, 3, 4, and 5. Dear congregation, greatly loved by our Savior Jesus Christ, one night I dreamed a dream. I was walking along the beach with my Lord. Across the dark sky flashed scenes from my life. For each scene, I I noticed two sets of footprints in the sand, one belonging to me and one to my Lord. Now maybe those words are somewhat familiar to you. 
They are the well-known words of that dearly loved poem, Footprints in the Sand. It's a beautiful poem that speaks of, our, of the care that God has for us, especially in the difficulties of life. The poem continues, it, it raises a sort of dilemma, it says, so the poet, he looks back into the troublesome times of his life and he, and he says, I just don't understand why. I just don't understand why when I need you the most, you leave me, the poet exclaims. To which the poem continues and the Lord responds, my precious child, I love you and will never leave you, never, ever. During your trials and testings, when you saw only one set of footprints, it was then I carried you. It was then I carried you. It's a very encouraging poem. Maybe you've seen it on cards, or maybe on bookmarks, marks, I should say, or maybe even have it hanging on your wall somewhere. And we take comfort in that fact that that in tough times, God is with us. And yet, if we think about it, there's more that, that could be said with this poem. The poem, you could say, could go further. You see, the image of God carrying us goes beyond just Him carrying us in the trials and in the difficulties of life. In the prophecy that we just read together from Isaiah 46, Isaiah is prophesying about the downfall of Babylon, but in the prophecy, he declares that the Almighty God, the Lord who created heaven and earth, he doesn't just carry his people in the hardships of life. No, he carries his people throughout their whole life. The false gods, they cannot even move. They cannot save. They must be carried. But the God of Israel isn't carried by Israel. Rather, God carries Israel in his loving arms. So if you think about it, in a way, there's only one set of footprints in the sand. Because you see, if we think it's only two and then only in the difficulties, that's when there's one. Well, then we could say to ourselves, once we get past the difficulties, we could say, well, thanks, God. Thanks for your help. You've done what you needed to do. I can take it from here. And this is what Israel so often did. Like Israel, we too can so quickly put our trust in ourselves and, and in the false gods of our hearts. And through the prophet Isaiah, God calls not only to his people, but also us today to trust in him alone. He calls us to worship him alone, the living God, the God who carries us. And that brings us to our theme this, this afternoon, trust God, he carries you. And we'll see two things. First, the God, the gods you carry. And then second, the God who carries you. So firstly then, the gods you carry. So Isaiah 46 is, is part of the book of comfort, which is the chapters 40 through 66 of Isaiah. So if you read through the, the first chapters of Isaiah, there's all kinds of judgment and prophecies of doom against Israel. We read about Israel's wickedness. We read about their corruption. And suddenly, when you, when you get to Isaiah 40, there's this switch. There is this change. There is hope. Yes, God was going to punish his people. He was going to send them into exile. It, Jerusalem would be destroyed. It would be ransacked. But that wasn't the end of Israel's future. That wasn't where their future was going to stop. The same nation, Babylon, which, which would come and destroy Jerusalem, God was going to punish that city, Babylon, for their wickedness and for their idolatry. And he was going to use, he was going to bring in a Persian king, King Cyrus, to deliver his people and to save them from the Babylonians. God says that in Isaiah 45. He says there in, in verse 13, I have stirred him up, that is Cyrus. I've stirred him up in righteousness and I will make all his ways level. He shall build my city and set my exiles free. Not for price or reward, says the Lord of hosts. And so here in, in Isaiah 46, there's actually it's the beginning of a prof prophecy of judgment of Babylon. And in a way, we get sort of front row tickets into their destruction and their downfall. And the downfall begins with their great gods. It says there, Bel bows down, Nebo stoops. 
Their idols are on beasts and livestock. They stoop, they bow down together. They cannot save the burden, but themselves go into captivity. Bel and Nebo were the most important gods in the Babylonian uh, pantheon, in their their deity. Bel, we could think of, is very similar to, to Baal. Baal was the god of of, of the storms, he was the god of fertility. In a way, you could think of it like this, he was kind of the mixture between the Greek god Thor, the god of thunder, and Aphrodite, the god of fertility. And then you, So you had Bel, and then you had Nebo. Nebo was the god of the royal family, and you can hear it in some of the Babylonian names. Think of the well-known king Nebuchadnezzar. You can hear it in the name, Nebo. So... Nebo was the god of the royalty. And it's these great Babylonian gods that suddenly topple from the heights of their pedestals and they're thrown down. The prophecy speaks of their destruction and them being thrown into a wagon and then carted off by beasts of burden, by donkeys. God was coming in judgment against Babylon and there would be none to save, not even these, these gods. After all, what were these gods, brothers and sisters? What were these gods in compared to the living God? God says to his people multiple times in Isaiah, he says, To whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me that we may be alike? The Lord God is in a category all of his own. There is nothing that compares to him. There's none that could be lifted up in, in equality with him. Nothing matches his might, his splendor and his glory. And this is a theme that resounds time and time again through Isaiah's prophecies. We read together from Isaiah 40. And there, Isaiah is impressing upon the people the greatness of God. God says to them multiple times, look at who I am. What are these gods in comparison to me? He says, I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. We read that in Isaiah 42 verse 8. Or again, I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. 43 verse 11. For thus says the Lord who created the heavens, He is God, who formed the earth and made it. I am the Lord, and there is no other. God and God alone is God. But what are these gods? What are these great deities that the Babylons worshipped? Well, verses 6 and 7 tell us. They are but creations. They're things molded by human hands. We read there of the person. He he empties his purse on the ground. He gets all the gold. He weighs it. And then he commissions a goldsmith to form it and to craft it into an idol. And once it's finished, he walks over there. He picks up his idol. He puts it on his shoulder. And he carries it home. And then once he's home, he puts it on his mantelpiece. And then we read. He calls down to it. He, He prays to it. He cries to it, expecting an answer. He, he cries to it, expecting it to save him. But the thing can't even move, can it? Isaiah just said it's dependent on pack animals. You have to throw these things in a wagon, and they get carted off, and then you pick them up out of the wagon, and then you put them on your mantle, and then you worship them? Children, you can think of it like this. It's like your parents get you this, this massive tub of Play-Doh. And you you get this huge tub of Play-Doh and you mold it and you make it into a statue, some impressive image. And then you get that piece of Play-Doh and then you paint it and you make it really beautiful. Well, imagine taking that thing that you created, the thing that you've painted, and then you put it up on the wall or on a shelf and then suddenly before you you start the meal, you ask the piece of Play-Doh for its blessing. And then when you finish the meal, you thank the piece of Play-Doh for giving you a good meal. Well, that is the comparison that Isaiah is saying. He's saying, how foolish is that? How could you call to a piece of Plato and say, Lord, help me? What is is a creation compared to the creator? And yet, it wasn't just the Babylonians who worshipped these gods, but God's own very people did. This was the very reason we read that God punished his people and and sent them into exile in the first place. Because they shelved the living God and worshipped these false gods instead. We read that in 1 Kings 17. 
It tells us that God called them to repentance, but they would not listen, but were stubborn as their fathers had been, who did not believe in the Lord their God. They despised His statutes and His covenant that He made with their fathers and the warnings that He gave them. They went after false idols and became false. They burned their sons and their daughters as offerings. Therefore the Lord was angry with them, it says, and removed them out of His sight. They forsook the Lord. Their hearts were darkened and they became obstinate in their way, refusing to repent. They became blind. This morning you heard about the spiritual forces of darkness and how demonic and how powerful they are. What we see is the worship of idols is actually the worship of demons. In Psalm 106 verse 37 it says, talking about the same thing, they sacrificed their sons and their daughters to demons. Or think of what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. He tells the Corinthians, how can you participate in idol worship? Because that is the participation in the worship of demons. When you sit down and have a meal and offer it to an idol, well, you're, you're worshiping a demon. And that worship, brothers and sisters, it destroyed Israel. It placed immense burdens on their backs but they refused to give it up because of its power. And so, even as God is calling down judgment on Babylon and on their gods, He calls His people to forfeit these demonic gods and trust in the Lord alone. And brothers and sisters, sometimes it's easy for us to almost scoff at the Israelites, isn't it? We can... Look at them and and wonder how could they be so silly for worshipping these idols. It's a piece of wood. As we were talking about before, it's a piece of Play-Doh. How could they worship it? And yet, if we're honest with ourselves, many of us here, if we look on our shoulder, we'd have to acknowledge that there's probably an idol of some sort that we're carrying around. It could be an idol of, of body image, Maybe even marriage, a spouse, work, the idol of dress. Maybe it's a presence on social media. Maybe it's financial security, holidays. The list can just keep going. And we place our trust in them. We give them a central place in our life. We we carry them. We get caught in their power. And Isaiah captures this very beautifully. He says, these things you carry are born as burdens on weary beasts. They wear you down. And God even says it to his people. He says, how did I weary you? Did I weary you with my offerings? Did I weary you with what I told you you had to bring? And yet you didn't bring all this lavish stuff for me. They burdened them. And yet they willingly subjected themselves to that burden. For example, if we just think of You think of maybe if you make beauty an idol in your life. What is the result of that? Well then, you could say you're never enough. Because there's always one extra dress that you need to buy. There's always another another diet. There's another product that you need. You're just never good enough. You're conscious of your body. You're conscious of your weight. You're conscious of your looks. And then you get caught up in a game of comparison. As soon as you feel good about yourself, suddenly someone else comes in who seems to be more beautiful than you. And then once again, you're brought low. You're burdened. Or maybe if we think of, if you think that money, that money can, can give you what you need, what happens? You end up working long hours. You work hard to the detriment of your family. You take out huge loans. You, you overextend yourself. And you do this even though you may even know that it places immense pressure on your family. And it's this continual trap. It always pulls us. It always asks for more. It never refreshes us. It never rejuvenates. You know, there's always, you buy your four-wheel drive and then you need your four-inch lift. And then you need the extra floodlights. And then you need your your mud tires. And then once you have your four-wheel drive, then you need your caravan. And then once you have your caravan, then you need your boat. And it just keeps going and going and going. But they don't refresh us. And the reason we know that is because as soon as those things are taken away, as soon as they're out of our life and we start experiencing trials, we see that. They don't rejuvenate us. They only burden us. They leave us empty. And so congregation, 
What are the false gods that you are carrying around? What are you relying on for for blessing, for help or guidance, which is replacing the wholehearted trust and dependence on God, the living God? Because these things won't give us what we want. They won't give us, give you what you want. So God is calling us this afternoon to cast aside these idols that we walk around with, these idols that we carry, and instead to embrace the living God, the God of heaven and earth. For as Jesus says, when we take his yoke upon us, it's not burdensome, it's not heavy. As Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. It is light. And why is that? It's because ultimately God is carrying us. And that, that's what we'll see in our last point. The God who carries you. Now there's a little bit of a problem. See, when you read through the prophecy, Isaiah is addressing a future generation. He's addressing the remnant who would be delivered from exile. And so if the Israelites, they look and they still see that Jerusalem is is in ruins. You know, it says here, Bel stoops down, Nebo stoops down. But what about Jerusalem? Jerusalem stoops down. It's been destroyed. The temple has been ruined. Their sacred vessels have been carried off as well, have been carted off to Babylon. And so there's a question that says, well, if God is so sovereign, doesn't all these things call into question his goodness, his, his sovereignty, his power and his control? And then what is more, the the plan of deliverance that God tells his people wouldn't have been received enthusiastically. God tells his people that he was going to bring a a foreign king, this Persian, to come in and he would deliver them from their exile. Well, as an Israelite, you don't want a foreigner delivering you. They were looking for the king of David. They were looking for someone from the line of David, not a Persian king. And so all of these things would have raised questions in their minds. If God is sovereign, what is he doing? Where is his his control? Doesn't this call into question his care and his love for us? But God calls to his people and he commands them to think about their history. We read that in verses 8. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done. God says, just think of all that I've done for you. Think of how I called Abram from out of the Ur of the Chaldeans. Think of how I made him a great nation against all odds. Think of how I brought him out of bondage through the exodus, and I brought him to the promised land. I led you through the wilderness. I fed you with manna. I fed you with quail. I gave you all those good things. I led you into the promised land, and even then, I didn't leave you because I was with you, and I was there with the conquest. I was there when you established your kingdom. If Israel were to reflect on their history, one thing would stand out to them. Yes, they would see sin, they would see punishment, they would see wickedness, but ultimately they would see God carrying them all the way through. They would see God's divine care for his people. Because the amazing thing, brothers and sisters, in this passage is that even though God's people walked around carrying an idol, it says that God was carrying them. He was carrying them. Isn't that amazing? God says, listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel, who have been born by me from before your birth, carried from the womb. The exile, the captivity, didn't mean that God had forsaken his people in anger. Not once did God drop them and leave them. No, he continued to carry them, even when they were unfaithful to him. He had carried them as he always did. God was their father. And he acted towards them with with parental care, with loving care. It's the imagery that that, that is full in this passage. And that image of God carrying his people, carrying them like like a father carrying his child, comes back time and again, just like the theme of God's sovereignty. 
You read in Isaiah 43. But now thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel. Or Isaiah 44 verse 2. Thus says the Lord who made you, who formed you from the womb and will help you. God is the father of his people. And he will never reject them. He will never let them go. He carries them. It's a beautiful image. It's an image of even a mother carrying her child. And God even says that to his people. He says, can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion over her, over the son of her womb? And then he says, even these may forget, but I will not forget you. His love is constant. It continues. When... Just for an example, when, when Katrina and I were in BC, we went for a hike with a, a young family. And the hike that we went on, it was a, it was a 2K, 2 kilometer loop. But then when we got there, it was a 2 kilometer loop like that. And so we started off and there, the little girl was, was walking. But then it got to a point where it became too much. And so dad picked her up and he walked all the way up. And so at the end, she got to the top. She didn't do anything. Her dad carried her all the way up. And so she got to the top, even though she couldn't get there herself. And that is the image, brothers and sisters, that is portrayed here. It's of God picking us up and carrying us all the way to the top. Not once does He let us go, but He's holding us. Just think of... The image of of your father or your mother, or maybe if you struggle to think of that, think of someone else where there is a loving relationship. And just think of when the child is picked up and thrown on the shoulders and carried. That is the picture that God is telling his people. This is how the almighty God, the God of heaven and earth, cares about you and me. But then if we continue and think of that example, what happens when a child grows old? Well, they don't want to sit on dad's lap anymore. They don't want to sit on mom's lap. They grow out of it. They become more independent. And that becomes a distant memory. But not so with God. It wasn't one time that Israel was carried. It was always. There was always, you could say, one set of footprints in the sand. You see, God's people had changed. And Isaiah uses the image of a child growing up. Israel, they went from the child in the womb to an infant, to an adolescent, to an adult, to an old man. But one thing never changed, the fact that God carried them all the way through. God says there, even to your old age, I am he. And to gray hairs, I will carry you. I have made and I will bear, I will carry and will save. Congregation rests in the loving arms of your father who cares for you, who loves you, who holds you up even when you sometimes carry idols on your own shoulder. He is the eternal God. He is your refuge. He is the one who carries you in his everlasting arms. And that that care is refreshing. It's rejuvenating. It's not like the idols that, that press you down, that burden you. No, it lifts you up. You are carried. You are borne up in his loving arms. And yet it's not easy to do that, is it, brothers and sisters? It's so often really difficult to rest in the arms of God, to not pick up those idols and to to carry them around and to worship them. We are often actually very much like a child that wants to just continue in its own way and refuses the care of its parent. Our nature is, is to trust ourselves. Our nature is to to manage our own lives rather than embracing the loving arms of God who who carries us. And God constantly reprimands His people for trusting in their own resources instead of finding their rest in Him. He says there in Isaiah 30 verse 15, God says, For thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, In returning and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength. God says, Embrace me. Come to me. I hold you. I carry you. Don't trust in all these other things. And yet, what does his people do? The same passage continues. It says, but you weren't willing. 
And you said, no, we will flee to the horses. We will ride upon swift steeds. And that is so often us, isn't it? We're just like Israel so often. Instead of turning to God, we so often turn to these idols. Like them, we pick them up. We're, we're, we're no different. Congregation, in the past couple of weeks, I should say we've been thinking about idolatry and worshiping God alone. That's been the theme for the Ward Bible study. So God is calling us here to worship Him alone. He's calling us to trust His parental love. He calls us to use the words of the catechism to avoid and flee all idolatry. To rightly come to know the only true God, to trust in Him, to submit to Him with all humility and patience, expect all good from Him only, and to love, fear, and honor Him with all our hearts. And yet even as we strive to do that, we fall short, don't we? We often turn to idols and false gods. Brothers and sisters, that is the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Is that by grace, God sent his son into the world who achieved what we could not achieve. He was tempted, if you look at his ministry, he was tempted to find his help, to find his blessing in, in something other than God. And yet, what does our Lord does? He refuses. He says to Satan, you shall worship God and him only you shall serve. He didn't succumb to idolatry. Not once was he like Israel and lifted idols to his shoulder. Never. But rather he loved, he feared, and he honored God with all his heart. He submitted himself to his father, even to the point of death, where he carried, he bore our sins, our idolatry, our false worship on the cross for our sake. And by his blood, he brought us near. He brought salvation and the righteousness of God, which was afar off from us. He brought it near by his blood. He delivered us so that we might all live for him. Brothers and sisters, through the power of the spirit of Christ in you, he will enable you. He will empower you to forsake those idols, to cast them off, those burdens that you carry, and rather to be carried by the God of heaven and earth. And so rest secure in his love and in his faithfulness. So congregation, if you were walking along the beach with your Lord, and across the dark sky flashed scenes from your life, for each scene you wouldn't see two sets of footprints, would you? One belonging to the Lord and one belonging to you, but only one. And when asked, my Lord, why is there only one set of footprints? I thought you promised to be with me forever. Our Lord would say, listen to me, my dear child. You who have been carried by me from the womb. Even to old age, I am he. And to gray hairs, I will carry you. I have made and I will bear. I will carry and will save. Those sets of footprints you see, they were mine. I carry you, just as I always did. Amen.
Let's come before God in prayer. Almighty, glorious God, Lord, there is none that can compare to you. There is none that is equal to you. You are great in power and splendor. You are an amazing Father. And despite our unfaithfulness, you are faithful. In your unfathomable love, you carry us even as we so often burden ourselves with idols and false gods. Lord, we acknowledge that our hearts are idol factories. We so quickly take the good things that you have made and and give to us. We stand them up in our lives and we put our hope and our trust in them. We seek our blessing from them. We look to them for satisfaction and joy. Lord, that is often what we do. So Father, we pray that you would powerfully work in our hearts by your Holy Spirit. We ask that you would graciously pull down, tear down our idols like you pulled down Bel and Nebo. That they would stoop down, that we would see their emptiness. And rather that we would see the glory of your loving arms that bear us and that carry us. Help us to find shelter in them. Enable us to rest in your goodness. Empower us to look to you, the God who carries us. And Lord, when we recall our history, we too see your sovereign care. Lord, in a few days' time, we, can, we will be able to reflect on your goodness to us in the Reformation. Lord, here we worship in a Reformed church, using and making use of Reformed confessions. Provide a framework to help us to see the gospel in all its glory. Lord, we think of men like Luther, like Calvin, like Zwingli, Busser, and so many other reformers who you used as instruments to call your church back. Lord, we thank you for the men and women who went before us. We thank you for your light shining in the darkness of history, bringing back your people to your word. Tearing down the the idolatry that we so often set up. 
And Father, we pray that here in Southern River, this would be a church that is always reforming, that is always growing in the gospel of our Savior. Lord, may we change. May we change, not being conformed to the world and changing to our detriment, but rather changing as in being transformed by Christ. And may the Reformation not stop with us, but may it continue. And so, Father, we also pray for the proclamation of your gospel as it goes out into the world. We think particularly of, of the mission work that is done in P&G and in Brazil. Father, we pray that you would be with the, the missionaries. We think particularly of, of, of Pastor uh, Paul and his wife, and also Pastor DeYoung and their work in P&G. Father, there's so much false doctrine There's so much false gospels that go around the prosperity gospel. There is uh, other gospels that emphasize different things that move people away from the true word, from the true gospels, the gospel I should say. And Father, we ask that you would be with the missionaries who proclaim your word in that context where they have to correct heresies, where they have to expose darkness and rather show people the light of your word in all its beauty. And Father, we pray that you would bless them as they received the, the word of God as it's given in a framework of, of reformed worship. And we pray that you would bless them in that. And may reformed worship not be an end in itself, but rather what it is, a, an instrument so that we might see the gospel in all its clarity. Father, please bless these, the, the mission work, bless the proclamation of your word. Father, we pray too that you would continue to be with us in the rest of this day. Bless our fellowship with each other and the conversations that we have and the the family time that we can have. Please be with us. Lord, grant that that we would experience the rest that you that you give us. And Father, we also pray that you would receive our offerings and our praise to your honor and to your glory alone. We we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Your offerings are requested for the the Ministry of Mercy for for Fair Haven. And as you give the offerings, remember the words of 1 John 3, verse 16 to 18. It says, By this we know, love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk but in deed and in truth. And after the offering, we'll sing hymn 46, verses 1 and 4.
As you depart this place, go with the blessing of the God who carries you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.